2: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
0: Hello, and welcome to a mini episode of Cinematic Universe, Podcast that's all about comic book movies, brought to you by FilmDivided.com. I'm your host, Joe Cunningham, and I'll be bringing you a truncated version of the show to bridge the gap between our Chronicle and Scott Pilgrim vs. the World episodes. On today's show, I'll give you my reactions to the comic that our guest Reese recommended on last week's podcast, that was Grant Morrison's Marvel Boy. And because James left his recommendation fairly open ended, I'm going to be talking about a couple of previous recommendations from the show that I've continued reading but also mostly about the inspiration for the upcoming Netflix and Marvel show, Jessica Jones, uh, which is Alias. But before we get to those, let's take a look at some of the comic book movie news that has broken over the past week. The Walking Dead's John Bernthal has joined the cast of Daredevil for season two as Frank Castle, a.k.a. The Punisher. Bernthal has also starred in the likes of The Wolf of Wall Street and Fury in the last couple of years, and the latter led to rumours that he was one of the names in line to replace Tom Hardy as Rick Flagg in director David Ayer's Suicide Squad. But it's ultimately Marvel who have snapped him up. Um, We don't know how prominently Punisher will feature in Daredevil Season 2, and rumours persist that we'll also meet Elektra and Bullseye during that series, so I wouldn't be surprised to see a slow introduction ahead of maybe making the character more prominent and maybe even giving him his own series down the line. Um, this is my wild speculation here, but I wouldn't be surprised if The Punisher was set up as the main villain for the Defenders series. Either way, it just seems like smart storytelling to put a character who has no problem killing his enemies in the path of a protagonist who we've already met and who we know draws an absolute line at murder. Um, frankly, I think all of us at Cinematic Universe can't wait But we'll probably have to, at least until Jessica Jones, maybe until the first season of Luke Cage. Um, And incidentally, Jessica Jones has dropped the AKA from its title this week. It's just going to be Marvel's Jessica Jones. Channing Tatum's Gambit has found a director, and it is Rise of the Planet of the Apes' Rupert Wyatt. The British director was also attached to direct Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, but dropped out due to concerns about a short production schedule, and so ultimately followed up Rock Potter with the... Mark Wahlberg starring remake of The Gambler, which um, I think flew under the radar somewhat. Um, Let's hope that he can take a project that many are unsure of in Gambit and give it the same kind of invigorating treatment that he did for the Apes movie... Um, I haven't seen The Gambler, but I love Rise of the Planet of the Apes. In fact, it's probably my favourite Planet of the Apes movie. Um, And I would definitely recommend seeking out his debut feature, The Escapist, which is a prison escape drama starring Brian Cox, Dominic Cooper, Joseph Fiennes, So George, Liam Cunningham, Stephen McIntosh and Damian Lewis, uh, because honestly, it's an absolute gem of a movie. Try and seek it out. After casting Benedict Cumberbatch and Tilda Swinton... Scott Derrickson's Doctor Strange has added another Oscar-nominated Brit with Chiwetel Ejiofor set to play Baron Mordo, according to Deadline. Uh, Deadline also reported that Mordo will be a bit of a mashup of multiple characters from the Doctor Strange mythology, uh, which means that he may not necessarily be a villain. So after a quick bit of wikipedia ring, I found out that Baron Mordo was a fellow student of Doctor Strange in the comic books, uh, both of them learning uh, from the ancient one. But um, Mordo plotted to kill his teacher, um, only to be stop- stopped by Stephen Strange. If Chiwetel Ejiofor does end up as the villain in Doctor Strange, uh, then that will obviously delight anyone who saw his turn as the operative in Joss Whedon's Serenity. 4 can do good villain. Jack Huston will no longer star in The Crow, with Variety citing scheduling issues as the reason for his departure. Um, and this comes with filming due to begin in just a few weeks' time. Uh, The movie will be directed by Corin Hardy, and uh, they're apparently eyeing Nicholas Holt or Jack O'Connell to replace Jack Houston. But given the amount of names rumoured for this part in the past, and we had James McAvoy, Tom Hiddleston, Alexander Skarsgård, Norman Reedus, Mark Wahlberg, Ryan Gosling, Channing Tatum over the years, and that's not even counting Bradley Cooper, Luke Evans, and Houston himself, who who were all actually attached to this role. So I think it's probably safe to probably wait and see which actor turns up on set before we say with any confidence that any actor is going to be playing The Crow. Meanwhile, Forrest Whitaker has been added to the cast of the movie, not as The Crow. But man, that film really needs a star. Another perennially troubled project is the live-action remake of Akira, um, a comic and movie that actually came up on last week's show. Warner Brothers are actually developing the project, and they have hired Daredevil Season 2 showrunner... Marco Ramirez to adapt the project which presumably will be an adaptation of the anime movie rather than the manga but that's not certain either. Um, As previously mentioned this project has fallen apart on more than one occasion before so while this is a step in the right direction in terms of it getting made it may not necessarily end with the movie actually coming to fruition. Okay, that's it for this week's comic book movie news. Let's move on now to this week's comic book recommendations. And so we only really have one comic that has been recommended off the back of last week's movie, which was Chronicle. Um, And our guest, Rhys Williamson, recommended Marvel Boy, which comes from Grant Morrison and J.G. Jones. Um, and obviously on the podcast before, I've been given a couple of Grant Morrison recommendations. Uh, I believe Grant Morrison wrote Animal Man, which Seb recommended me way back after we watched uh, Watchmen, and um, also All-Star Superman, which uh, naturally came on the back of our Superman episode. Um and I really, really loved All-Star Superman and really, really loved one issue in particular of Animal Man. Um, so I was really looking forward to this, even though All-Star Superman especially took me quite a while to accustom to. It wasn't until I was kind of going back afterwards and giving it little rereads and looking back at certain panels and kind of looking at, all, at it all in the in its entirety, once I'd done that, I really came to appreciate it. And, and it's probably something that built on me over the course of, I think it was either 10 or 12 issues there. And unfortunately, i say that a lot of Marvel Boy went over my head. Um, I've tried to do a lot of reading um, about it afterwards to kind of find out what it is about Marvel Boy that, that works for people. And, um, obviously it came highly recommended from Reese last week, who, who was speaking so highly of Grant Morrison. And, um, yeah, so it was kind of frustrating really not to get it. And I think that might be the case. I think it might be that I just, I, I just didn't get it. I found it a real, a real hard kind of like brain melting slog over the first couple of issues. I was trying to figure out what was happening all the time and constantly trying to work out what I was missing um the art is great it looked pretty unconventional um and i wondered whether like uh, when when i was going back and reading stuff and reading other people's um appraisals of the art and talking about kind of the details in the back of scenes and the way that the pages are constructed uh, being a little bit more experimental in form whether that was something that just I couldn't appreciate I, I I've spoken before about being more of a plot guy um and especially coming to comics art is not something that um maybe I just haven't seen enough comic book art to truly appreciate it but especially when you're experimenting with form um that's probably something that I haven't read enough comics to be able to get my head around in any way um And then when it came to the content, so yeah, so this is, this is about a character called Novar, who is a Kree who crash lands on the Earth, um, and all the rest of his crew die. I think it's implied that some of them are killed when they arrive, because basically there is this villainous character uh, called Midas, um, who wants the cosmic rays of Marvel Boy's engine ship, so he can kind of power himself up and become like the Fantastic Four power-wise um and Novar kind of in the first couple of issues responds really badly to that that his friends have all been killed and that he's been captured and tortured as he first arrives but he also happens to be incredibly strong and he has this kind of like psychic link with his ship's computer which is called Plex and has this basically uh helps him be capable of a lot more than any human could be um and so novar goes on a bit of a rampage over the course of the first two issues um and um ends up causing a lot of destruction in new york which is ultimately just to spell out fuck you in burning buildings in new york which was something i did quite like i thought it was quite funny um one one of these six issues really did work for me um, or at least conceptually worked for me. I felt I could get my head around what Grant Morrison was doing in that one. Um, and this was uh, the third issue, which was called Digital Concentration Camp X One. Think, which is about this villainous organization called Hexus, which starts up on Earth because it escaped from some containment chamber on Novar's ship, and basically it's this alien virus that sets up a corporation that tries to become like a global uh like monopoly that caters to everything that customers possibly want and basically slowly becomes the dominant organization on earth it essentially becomes by and large from wall-e um <laughs> there's specific references in the comic about like companies like uh Disney and Apple I'm not sure if it is Disney and Apple but companies like that being terrified of uh, Hexus's potential, um, and the idea is that Hexus will slowly take over the world until um, they buy shares in NASA and are able to send a probe up to another world, where the the company can then set up on another world, and then the Earth will be left to kind of die as Hexus sheds its corporate skin on this planet after having consumed everything um and nova has to destroy it um and there's some really interesting themes running through that issue and i could get my head around what was actually happening i thought for most of the time um and so yeah uh, that 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 was an issue that um i generally liked and then and then the second half of the six issue run heavily involved uh, hexus's daughter who uh, was a supervillain who goes by the name of Exterminatrix, and she wears Dominatrix gear. And her and Novar, after fighting for an issue, fall for each other and decide to fight back against Midas. Um, And Midas does eventually get these Fantastic Four-esque powers. He kind of gets the powers of all of the Fantastic Four combined. Um, But even then, (laughs) when it comes to the final issue, Novar makes pretty sharp work of him. Um, and it was, it was something that I could, I could never really get too, I could never really get too invested in any of the stories because I just thought that Navar always seemed like he was ultimately going to win. And I'm guessing that that probably wasn't that important or he just seemed, he just seemed too powerful, but I'm sure that's not it, it. at all important to what Grant Morrison was trying to do with the story and again it seems to me like he was maybe trying to do interesting stuff with the form I read quite a few places that he wanted the comic to be less like a movie storyboard and more some like experimental in the way of telling visual stories um but it did, it did happen that the, the dialogue on the page, the text on the page, a lot of the time I was reading and kind of going, wow, I've, I feel absolutely floored by jargon, and I'm going to have to go back and reread this reread this entire page to try and <laughs> re- actually take in some of the words that were said on it. But yeah, so I think the comic ultimately ends with Novar. He is sent to jail, and he decides that... Um, he, he kind of goes from from villain to hero, back to villain to hero, back to villain again. Um, I mean, most of the time he seems, like, uh, petulant and self-serving, but this kind of mater- paternalistic relationship that he has with Plex sometimes guides him down a better path. Um And maybe the relationship that he (laughs) strikes up with Exterminatrix, which is a name that I can't say about Leffing, uh, maybe that sometimes helps him be a little bit better. But I mean, so much of this was bonkers. I emailed Seven James saying, does Marvel Boy take place in Earth 616? Because it just does, it seems like it should be taking place in a completely, a a complete other universe universe. where all this crazy shit can go down. But no, apparently it happens in the in the not, you know the main Marvel universe. So uh so I'm, I I'm actually really looking forward to um discussing this with Reese and hopefully soon I'm sure Reese will hear me discussing this on the podcast and uh, and get in touch to tell me what I missed. Uh, but I'm looking forward to having this explained to me because if there's if there's one thing that doing this this podcast has been great for it has been getting me a, reading comics, but the kind of comics sometimes that... I mean, if I'd have read the first issue of Marvel Boy, I'd have probably thought, this isn't for me, and stopped reading it. But I got to read the whole thing, and I got exposed to something new, and um, I really enjoy normally going to Seven James and saying, okay, tell me maybe what I didn't understand about this, or tell me what I'm missing here, or tell me... Uh You know, tell me why I should love this bit of a comic that maybe I didn't love when I was reading it the first time. And yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing back from Reese why I'm completely wrong about Marvel Boy. Um, But as I say, it's it's not that I didn't like it, it's more that I just felt that I didn't understand it. Yeah, and and, and I, I feel more confident in saying that having read some of Grant Morrison's other work and really enjoying it. So yeah. Anyway, uh, so moving on to our the next recommendation, which would normally be what James had recommended based on Chronicle. But because James really couldn't get past Akira in regards to... Chronicle last week, uh, and but in good conscience couldn't recommend that. I started reading Akira because of its size. I think six phone books was the way he described it. And I've already seen the movie. And let's be honest, the cinematic universe will probably get to covering the Akira movie at some point in the future. So it seemed silly to do a movie recommendation here. So um, I thought I'd take James's other piece of advice, which was just to carry on reading some of the comic books I'd already been reading, catch up on some of the stuff that I've. Uh, been meaning to catch up on and talk about those and so i'm briefly going to mention two comics which were recommendations earlier on in the podcast run um the first of those is velvet um which uh was recommended on the back of our agent carter episode by seb i believe and um I read the first volume of Velvet at the time, and uh, as luck would have it, um, I pre-ordered the second volume of Velvet um, immediately after having read the first one, and it got delivered this week, and I read that. Um, And if you go back and listen to the last time I discussed Velvet, my thoughts are still all of those, but kind of... I'm I'm doubling down on them, because um, I think, if anything, it becomes... um, A little bit more coherent in terms of who all the characters are and and um what they may mean in different parts of the story it does even more kind of bondy stuff um velvet is just continues to be a completely badass um, nuanced um but at the same time a really solid throwback spy character who completely believably exists within the world that she does and um yeah, I really enjoyed the second volume of Velvet. And I'm aware now it'll probably be a while, but um, when Volume 3 comes out, I'm going to be um, ordering that as well. Um, so yeah, Velvet is it's almost like a, a reinforced recommendation.
1: Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online
2: Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply.
1: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting.
0: It was recommended by Seb first, and I'm I'm doubly recommending it as something that I have continued to read and enjoy. Um, And the second thing that I have continued to read and enjoy um, is Hawkeye, which I believe James recommended on our Avengers Age of Ultron episode. Um, And... Since then, where I think I read the first five or six issues, I've just continued steadily chipping away at that series on Marvel Unlimited. Um, and I think I've read all but two of the issues that are on Marvel Unlimited now, maybe three, but I'm, I'm quite close to the end. And I'm aware that there's one more that has been delayed and delayed and delayed that will actually be released next month. And to be honest, I'm considering actually buying a physical copy of it because um, I don't want to wait the six months that it will take for it to turn up on Marvel Unlimited. Um... Hawkeye, I would say, of every single comic that has been recommended on this show is the comic that I would recommend to anyone who's listening to this podcast who was like me at the start of this show, who had never read any comic books really before, or maybe just one or two, um, and wanted to get into reading comics. because uh, Hawkeye is a modern comic book. It's funny. Um, it has some relation to the kind of characters that you're seeing on screen in... Uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, um, it has an absolutely fantastic male protagonist and female protagonist, um, and Kate Bishop, the female protagonist, is so fantastic that, uh, about 10 issues in, the comic book splits, and you start getting an issue following Clint Barton, and then one following Kate Bishop, and, I mean, I watch Arrow and Flash on TV, and, um, this season, I've been watching them, you know, one Arrow, one Flash, and after every Arrow, as much as I still quite like the show, I'm like, oh, great, I want to get to watch another Flash. And after every Flash, I'm like, oh, I've got to get through an Arrow before I get to watch the next episode of Flash. Um, and that's the complete polar opposite of what I have when I'm reading Hawkeye issues. I finish a Kate issue, and I'm like, oh, a Clint Barton one next. And then when I finish Clint one, I'm like, oh, great, another Kate one. Um, and it, is, it I'm looking forward to both characters equally. Um, and I'm enjoying the arcs that are running through both of them equally. And, uh, yeah, I think it's, honestly, it's just uh, a shame that there's only going to be, like, 21 issues of that whole comic. So I would say, yeah, if you're a new comic book reader of everything that has been recommended on the show, that would be the comic I'd point to and say, hey, give that a go. It's, It's such an easy read. You breeze through the issues, and the artwork is really simple uh, not distracting Uh, none of the panels on it really I, i don't think i look at any individual panel and go wow that is amazing but sometimes you'll just look at a whole page and go wow that really fits together kind of beautifully um And that's from someone who knows nothing about comic book art, ladies and gentlemen. So, yeah, uh, Velvet and Hawkeye are the two comics that I have uh, continued reading and um, highly recommend. I'm also hoping to get back to Animal Man at some point. (laughs) But as uh, James told me on email earlier this week when I was saying that I need to get back to reading Animal Man at some point, he said, you now have more comics that you want to read than the time and money you need to read them. You're officially one of us. Um, Yeah, and I think I, I think I might be. Um, And another reason I think I might be is because we're going to get to the the second uh, main comics discussion now, uh, which is uh, Alias from Brian Michael Bendis and Michael Michael Gaydos. And uh, last, just this weekend really, I thought, oh, it'd be great if I could read some of Alias and talk about that in the show and kind of make it like a, to make up for James's non-recommendation last week, kind of do bit of Hawkeye a bit of Velvet a bit of Alias so I thought well if I read a little bit of Alias um that'll be great I'll have a, a bit of an insight into who Jessica Jones is ahead of the Marvel series um and I started reading it Saturday morning and on Saturday night uh, about two thirty in the morning I had finished the 28th issue of Alias and had read the whole thing <laughs> so that's how I spent my weekend folks <laughs> but yeah so I um I have read all of Alias and this is another one of the comics um, that has kind of found its way to me through this show that I now would really love to own um, a physical copy of it because um, I super, super loved it. Um, So Alias is uh, about Jessica Jones, who used to be a superhero called Jewel. Uh, but quits being a superhero because of uh, something that happened to her, which isn't made clear until kind of the last four or five issues of the comic. Yes, yeah, so, but it's uh, and so it's split into sections, which almost kind of she almost kind of break up into different cases that Jessica Jones takes. Um, and so the first case that she takes, she sent she sent to track down a woman by someone she believes to be her sister. Um, and she's actually fooled by the person that she is taking the case for, um, and the whole case has been set up so she will take a picture of Captain America, who at that point still had his secret identity. There's another case she takes where uh, she's sent to find a B-level superhero called Rick Jones, uh, who is who is claiming to be scarred by superhero life, and the, the scrolls are out to kill him. Uh, she's she sent to a small town to find um a missing girl who may or may not be a mutant and kind of deals with the mutant prejudice in that town. Uh she then goes uh she then goes in a case to track down uh, a missing girl who actually shows up in her apartment. It's not a case that she takes. Um it's a, uh, a young girl who has been adopted by J. Jonah Jameson who features uh, sporadically throughout this comic book and is fantastic every time he turns up. Um, uh, everything that he is in the movies, uh, and but more so. Um, and uh, in, in that one, she's trying to track down this girl who has been captured by some... who's uh, been taken by some criminals and kind of drugged and is being used and abused by them. Uh, but that's not a case that Jessica has taken. It's just something that she is kind of going out and doing for herself, despite not being paid for it. Um, and then the final arc kind of deals with there is a two issue, um, two issue story which explores her origins, which uh, kind of parallel Peter Parker's Spider-Man origins to an extent. She went to school with him uh, and is present for his spider bite. Uh, before exploring her relationship with the Purple Man, who is the character uh, Kilgrave, who's going to be played by David Tennant in the Netflix series, which relates to the traumatic incident from her past. And what's great about all those different stories is they kind of all tell you a little bit more about Jessica Jones and who she was as a superhero and who she is now and why she might be slightly drawn back to the superhero life but might, might be what might be preventing her and I, I don't want to ruin too much but these on these cases really do peel away the different layers of her character and show you different sides of her um, because basically at this stage she's she's scarred by her past she drinks heavily she kind of has lots of sex with lots of different men kind of indiscriminately when she's drunk Um She tries to strike up a relationship with Scott Lang, um, Scott Lang Ant-Man, set up by her best friend Carol Danvers. Um, I don't think either of those two characters will be showing up in the show, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if we see kind of stand-in characters for them. Um, Luke Cage is a character who uh, also pops up quite regularly, as is Daredevil, uh, which... I think is probably a safer bet of characters who are going to cross over with, um, in fact, a sure bet of characters who are going to cross over with Jessica Jones once uh, Netflix gets around to putting her on screen. And she is just a really, really fantastic character. The one thing that I wasn't a huge fan of in the comic was the way that um, Michael true faces. Um, I thought actually it works really well for Jessica Jones in that she wasn't, she she was never depicted certainly when she was Jessica Jones as a super sexy super attractive character but she she kind of looked a little bit uh, a little bit grizzled a little bit world weary all the time but but generally uh, there, there was a character who pops up in the first issue who looks just like Katie Hopkins and I found it really distracting um, just generally I didn't I didn't love the way that Michael Cera drew true faces even though. Apart from that, I really liked the luck of the worlds that he he did create. And um, I really liked the way that Brian Michael Bendis' sometimes really wordy pages. The way that those words interacted with the pages. The way that they were spread out across it. And yeah, it was it was a comic that really... It, I say, like, the way that I read it all across the day it really crept up on me how much I enjoyed the story. I was thinking to start with, this is solid, but but it's not until you get quite a way through the story that you realise how all these cases are related to Jessica and how they're all fitting together to kind of create a jigsaw of who she is and who she was. And... The way that that she kind of interacts with the wider Marvel Universe, I had to go on Wikipedia halfway through and go, what's Jessica Jones? So where, so where did she come from before this comic? And oh no, Brian Michael Bendis created her for this comic. But the way she interacts with established Marvel Universe ideas and established Marvel Universe characters, you kind of think she must have been like some B-level character who fell through the cracks years ago um, and was being... Brought back out of the woodwork work by Bendis to tell this new story, this new take on her. Uh, but no, she was she was created by him, and it was it was really impressive the way that that was done. I think probably from the earlier stories, um, I really liked the 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 one where she investigates the mutant girl. Um, I thought it was probably the best X Men story I've read because I haven't read many X Men stories. <laughs> uh, and and then the the, the one that. I thought really works was the 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 combination of her origin at the end with the oh uh, and the and the one about the young Spider Girl because you could really you could really see at that point the way that Jessica was creeping back to becoming a hero and getting ever closer to this traumatic event from her past. You could tell that whatever was happening here had a lot to do with uh, a lot of similarities with what happened to her. Um, And it kind of builds perfectly to the Purple Man arc. Which, um, I'm going to flat out spoil here what that is. So if you don't want to hear what happens with Jessica Jones and the Purple Man, um, stop listening now. But um, I assume Netflix will probably change this to some extent anyway. Um, But essentially, the Purple Man is a man who, whatever he says, the person who hears it is almost hypnotised into doing And so when Jessica Jones goes to break up a fight that is occurring because the Purple Man has ordered it to happen, she immediately kind of falls under his thrall and anything he tells her to do, she does. And uh, I was immediately a little bit worried that this was going to be a purely sexual thing and that it was going to be pretty grim and that it was going to be really difficult to read. And what happens is difficult to read, but I really liked the way that Brian Michael Bendis didn't just go to horrible traumatic event from characters past. It must be that she was raped. And a couple of the male characters in the comics actually say, oh, were you raped? I think I think Scott Lang definitely says it, and I, I'm pretty sure Luke Cage asks her outright. Um, and it's not that. And there is a sexual element to the way the purple man controls her um which you can see more from kind of the way it's drawn uh but crucially the artwork is 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 kind of different in those scenes as well so it it, it almost feels like a cartoonish version of the character that this is happening to as if it is not quite real but it's more it's more uh, uh, the way that this psychologically affects Jessica Jones and basically while the purple man never rapes her he's he rapes a lot of women in front of her and makes her watch and makes her beg him to do the same things to her and so obviously that is that is horrible and sexualized and grim and nasty and unpleasant and difficult to read but at least Brian Michael Bendis didn't just go okay yes, yeah, she was raped that was the thing that happened to her and I I thought it was it was dealt with really well in the way that Jessica Jones discusses it and discusses what what it was about it that was so traumatic to her and why it is something that she hasn't been able to get over. And honestly, the only real big flaw that I had with the way that the Purple Man arc ran through was basically the way it ended, where a kind of enormous deus ex machina turns up in the form of Jean Grey to allow Jessica to overcome the Purple Man uh but apart from that i really really loved it and because it was it was all about jessica jones it was all about her it was all about what everything meant to her it was all about how each event played into her character told us more about her um that almost every decision that the story made felt justified to me and yeah I just got completely sucked into it over the the course of those I think it was 28 issues I'm not sure but I just kept reading kept reading Uh, (laughs) so yeah really really fantastic one of the best things that I have read for the show and um, has got me even more excited than I already was for the Netflix uh, show Um, and Kristen Ritter, I think, is probably going to be fantastic in that role. And and I also found it really interesting the way she, she kind of arcs towards wanting to be a superhero again. Um, I think that Marvel's Jessica Jones on Netflix, that character is going to have to probably embrace becoming a superhero again, at least in the short term, whether that's not in the long term. But in the short term, I think she will have to, given they're doing a Defenders series. Um... And while that's not what happens at the end of Alias, it's something that I felt like a natural endpoint for that character. That um, maybe overcoming the Purple Man was something that would allow her to finally become a superhero. Because I felt there were were hints all the way through the story that she was getting closer and closer to doing it through her private eye, eye work. Even if she couldn't really acknowledge it or do it in real life um oh and another thing I have to know that I really liked were the covers drawn by David Mack for the individual issues um I spent quite a while on Google Images just looking through those and um they are stunning and I've obviously read a bit of David Mack drawn work uh before through through the Daredevil recommendations on the show um and I really love his style. It feels completely unlike anything else I've seen. Um, and I, he was someone I was like, oh, it's David Mack. That's uh, that's something I recognise. Uh, which is which is always a, a mini little proud moment when it comes to me and comic books. Um, but yes, yeah, so that is it. Marvel Boy, Velvet, Hawkeye, and Alias. Um, and that's it for this week. Don't forget that the next episode of Cinematic Universe will be covering Edgar Wright's 2010 film, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. Um, If you're enjoying the show, then please do subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM or your podcast app of choice. And if you've already subscribed, then please leave us a rating or review and we'll give you a shout out on a future show. Um, By the future show, I mean on our next show. You'll get a shout out on our next show. Um, You can find more episodes of Cinematic Universe on cinematicuniverse.libsyn.com or as we're a Film Divider podcast at filmdivider.com. You can get in touch via Facebook, on Twitter, at cu underscore podcast, or send us an email, cinematicuniversepod at gmail.com. See you next week.